Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. Eight days of celebration, eight days of festivities, at least one present per child per night. The whole house was decorated. We had parties, we had menorahs, we had lockies, we had dreidels, we had the whole Megillah. When you marry a woman who has grown up in a Christian family, whether they're religious or not, they are wired for Christmas. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Jessica Hankins. And I'm Laura Wexler. This week on the podcast, Oi Christmas Tree, two tales of trees, ornaments, and the Jews who love them. Uh, that is a great title, Jessica. Thank you. Oi Christmas Tree. <laughs> really good. Really good. And you're and not even half dream. Jewish like well, I am. Well, I'm by marriage. Doesn't that That's make true. sense? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. That doesn't work like that. Um, all right. So before we get started with the first of our holiday shows for this holiday season 2021, we want to thank Mend Acupuncture which is named Best Place to Get Poked. Um, and they offer enjoyable and low-stress acupuncture sessions. They're really, really experts at figuring out what's ailing you and making it stop. Um, and you can find them at Remington, Quarry Lake, and very soon in Canton here in Baltimore. Okay, so... Boy Christmas tree. This is our first story is from Jonathan Willis, and he is sharing his story. Um, Gosh, this is, I think, from a show close to 12 years ago. This is deep in our... uh, Really, Grandma? Yeah. (laughs) Deep in our archives, but it's great. So it's a story that he is sharing about being a very proud Jewish man who is bringing his girlfriend home uh, to meet his family for the first time. And uh, it's over the holidays, and take a listen to what ensues. Good evening. It's great to be here as the token Jew in tonight's program. (laughs) It's okay. I'm used to it. I grew up as only the one of three Jews in my elementary school. And so, as you know, during those Christmas festivities, that holiday program, um, I'm like that ditty, I had a little dreidel sandwiched between a little town of Bethlehem and joy to the world. Tonight, I'm your dreidel. (laughs) This story takes place when I was 18 years old and just finished my first semester of college. You know that, that, what that was like. I'd come off the most fantastic summer where I was a counselor at a Jewish summer camp. I was a bad kid, so it was a reform camp. But there, I, my soul was filled with the possibilities were um, how I could be an, an adult and live a Jewish life that was more fulfilled, I think, than that of my parents, because as an 18-year-old, I knew it was better than my parents. And so you have to imagine this 18-year-old, my head is swollen from new knowledge from college. Oh, I forgot to tell you, the best part was at camp that summer, I met my, had a, my parents sent me to an all-boys Catholic school. I was a um, football scholarship. But at camp that summer, 
I had met my first girlfriend. So I'm walking up the, the walkway to my home. My head is filled with, swollen actually, with new knowledge. My heart is filled with new love, and my soul is about to burst with this new feeling of what it could be like, the possibilities of living a Jewish life as an emerging adult. And I walk up the steps, and I see the mezuzah on the doorpost of my house, the, the sign that shows that this is a Jewish home. I open the door to my home, and there's my mom with her arms spread, and behind her is a Christmas tree. I think a little background about myself. I'm a fifth-generation California Jew on my father's side. My mother's side also goes pretty far back in California. My grandmother grew up in the 20s and 30s in Riverside, California, a small town in Southern California. They owned a small uh, women's clothing store. And this being the 20s, my grandmother used to regale me with a tale that every Saturday night the Klan would have a parade down Main Street. In my own mind, I used to imagine that these Klansmen resplendent in the robes purchased them at my family's store. <laughs> but my family, my grandmother's family, uh, like many assimilated and acculturated Jews of that period, like that very famous um, Jewish songwriter, Isaiah Berlin, they dreamt of a white Christmas. And they had one, too, except it was in Southern California, so it wasn't that all that white except for the people there from Eastern Europe. But, so they had stockings hanging from, you know, the mantles over the fireplace. They had a large Christmas tree. They had a huge Christmas dinner. And there were, you know, lots and lots of presents. They celebrated, um, you know, American diversity because for them, Christmas was an American holiday. They, there was no Hanukkah. And my grandmother, as she married my grandfather, and she introduced this or brought this into her own a home, and my mother and um, my aunt, I was from California, we don't say aunt, but we said, and my aunt also celebrated Christmas, the stockings hung by the fireplace, the Christmas tree, the big dinner, and presents, and my own mother, when she married my father, he's tall, taller, was taller than I was, but also Jewish, they, for the first few years of my life, they also celebrated Christmas. I have no memory because for some reason when I was three, my mother decided to explore her own Jewish identity more. And so out goes Christmas and in comes Hanukkah. And the Hanukkah you would not believe. To die for, much better than Christmas, according to my mother. <laughs> eight days of celebration, eight days of festivities, at least one present per child per night. We had, the whole house was decorated. We had parties. We had menorahs. We had lockies. We had dreidels. We had the whole Megillah on that Hanukkah night. All eight Hanukkah nights on my dad. So, I understand that what, how we are raised gives us a sense of comfort, if it's a sense of home, a sense of belonging. And maybe when I left home to go to college, my mother want to regain that sense of place, that sense of home, that sense of comfort that she had missed when she decided to get rid of Christmas and, and embrace Hanukkah. And that's what I thought until I started talking with my aunt and doing, when I was doing research for the story. And she goes, no, your mom just wanted to piss you off. <laughs> so I'm standing there in my living room, my mother's arms now not so far away, and I go, what is that? It's a Christmas tree. Why do we have a Christmas tree? Because I wanted a Christmas tree. 
Hanukkah's in only a couple days. We could have decorated the house. We don't need a Christmas tree. It's pretty. Um, it's not very Jewish. It's a Christmas tree. It's a Christian symbol. You know, that is the body of Christ represented in our middle of our living room. <laughs> so, again, you know, me, my 18-year-old self, arguing with my mother, says, no, it's an American symbol. No, it's a Christian symbol. And she says, but you told me it was a pagan symbol. Ooh, I go, I have you now, Mom. I go, so you have this huge pagan phallic symbol in the middle of our living room two days before Hanukkah, which celebrates our uprising against those pagan oppressors who are trying to get us to celebrate and bow down to their pagan phallic symbols. Right? (laughs) It didn't work. Next three days, it didn't work. My excellent reasoning skills, my college brain was not working on my mother. And on that, the three days were coming up, and on that day, it was actually Christmas Day, my girlfriend was coming to visit my home, my Jewish girlfriend. And so, what could I do? I did the best thing possible. I hid the tree. (laughs) My mother comes to me and says, where's the tree? (laughs) What tree? You goddamn know what tree? I have no idea what you're talking about. She found the tree. My girlfriend comes to the house. I open the door. She sees the tree. She goes, why is there a tree? My mom wanted a tree. Were you raised with a tree? No. Why does your mom want a tree? She thought it was nice looking. Of course, it being Christmas Day, and we have a big Christmas dinner in my family at that time. We go to my Jewish aunt's house. And we have, in my aunt's house, it's a huge flock Christmas tree with a green and red balls. We have a huge Christmas dinner with a whole, it looks like a crate and barrel Christmas decor, you know, set up. Presents to the ceiling. I like the presents. I like to think that was one of the reasons why she broke up with me, but who knows. But for the next three years of my college career, my mother had a Christmas tree at home until I finally graduated from college and I had the opportunity not to come home over Christmas break, over winter break. And that's when she, I think, decided that it was no fun not to piss me off when I wasn't there. (laughs) But now as an adult, I get to create my own Jewish traditions in my own home with my family. We get to celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the birthday of the world, and we get to celebrate Yom Kippur, which, cele- which gives us a chance to wipe the slate clean. We, get, we build a sukkah to recall the uh, Israelites wandering the desert for 40 years. We celebrate Hanukkah, of course, and Pesach, a redemption from slavery in Egypt. And probably most important, every Friday night we celebrate the Sabbath. Our whole extended family comes together, and we put each takes turns, puts a coin in the pushki for tzedakah, for charity, and we tell something positive that happened that week for us. We celebrate, we light candles that um, recalls the separation between the everyday and the holy of the Sabbath. And probably most important, I get to bless my two daughters. I get to recall, ask God's blessing upon them to make them like their foremothers, like Sarah, like Rebecca, like Rachel, and like Leah. And we sit down and we have a, a family festive meal together every Friday night. But as my daughters are getting older and as they emerge into their teen years and their heads are starting to get a little bit bigger, I think back to my mother. Maybe she was a, real, a little bit right. And it might be just fun once in a while to piss them off.
right. That was fun, right? Well done. Yeah. Does um because um, Maury, your father, who is Jewish, uh, yeah, he uh he likes himself. He likes a Christmas tree, doesn't he? Well, he let's say he wasn't interested enough to resist. Ah. Um, so yeah, so when I was growing up, we did both Hanukkah and Christmas. And then also in December was my birthday, my sister's birthday and my parents' anniversary. So basically my mother lost her mind um, <laughs> every Christmas. And so after a few years of losing her mind, she she gave up on Hanukkah since A, she wasn't Jewish and B, my father didn't really, you know, he didn't care. He was more of a cultural Jew, not a religious Jew. So then it was Christmas from there on out. I see. Dear yes. listeners, for those of you who don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about Laura's mom, Trudy, who comes every year and assembles and takes down Laura's oh, Christmas gosh, yes. tree. <laughs> Which I yes, love that's that. true. I know you're jealous about that. I know I you're jealous. I'm really very jealous about that. But, you know, I also, I mainly just found it, find it very entertaining because I do, I love well, your mom so much. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And also for listeners who don't know, Jessica basically like puts away her turkey Thanksgiving leftovers and gets out her tree in like the same breath. You put it up actually on Thanksgiving sometimes, haven't you? No, or I've never done it that. Always, always okay. Black Friday. But I will say, I, I think there are more and more people putting them up like after Halloween, which is crazy to me. Even I find that I know. just a little Even distasteful. You. Moving on to our next sponsor that we want to thank, Baltimore Magazine. They are terrific at chronicling this wonderful and kooky city. You can find them on the internet at baltimoremagazine.com, and you can find them on the newsstand as an actual print magazine. They still make um, those. Yes. All right. So this next story is from David Etlin, who has told many a story on the Stoop stage. We um, have come to really love and adore David over the years. He worked for years uh, for Baltimore Sun. And this is his story of how he basically kind of came to love Christmas and Christmas trees, specifically ornaments, through the process of multiple divorces. <laughs> Take a listen. <laughs> of course. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but I suffer from Christmas tree anxiety. <laughs> I know there are a lot of armchair psychiatrists out there in a place like this. Everybody wants to hear you tell stories, so you must be psychiatrists of some sort. And if you were a psychiatrist, you would probably look to childhood and say, well, what is the root of this neurosis? And I take a deep breath and I tell you that, well, I grew up in the shadows of St. Ambrose Roman Catholic Church in Northwest Baltimore, and I never had a Christmas tree. My parents just didn't get Christmas trees. Now, I can't really blame them because, you know, we were Jewish. So this wasn't... <laughs> I got trained uh, every year around that time, which we would call Hanukkah, of course. My father would set up this little lion-out train set around the lakes of the dining room table. And I was just fascinated. Just one loop and a little tiny inside one where you would unload the logs from the one little car that had logs. I mean, you know, it's probably worth $10,000 now. It's a really good Lionel, but it's a little track. 
But Christmas was something that was a little bit alien to me. One day, my father took me across the street where there was a, a Jewish guy who was living with his family, except his wife was Catholic, and they had 12 kids. And my father said, I'm going to show you what Christmas looks like. And I went into the house, and there was like this huge tree. There was gift wrap everywhere. There were presents being thrown around, played with, broken. Upstairs was the wife, and she was in bed with number 12. She was nursing the baby, and this was like my first vision of Madonna. Not like you know, any painting you've ever seen, but you know, it was a little crazy. I had an uncle who had a Christmas tree, but he was Catholic and he married a Jewish woman. And Christmas is something that once you have it, it's hard to put it down. He always had a Christmas tree and he even had a bigger train set. Well, my mother wondered one time, she asked me, why didn't you ever marry a nice Jewish girl? You had three chances. <laughs> That's right, three times. Two Methodists, one Moravian. <laughs> and I don't know whether it had anything to do with Christmas trees, but I have to define some of these marriages, maybe all of them, in a way about Christmas. Like from the first marriage, there's a little, there's a picture from, think of it as a souvenir, and it shows us all in the living room of our house on Calvert Street, and there's this Christmas tree, my wife, myself, our then three-year-old daughter, and we're unwrapping Christmas presents. And by the next Christmas, she was gone. She left me the house, custody, and a bunch of cheap Christmas ornaments, among other things. So what's a guy to do? It's called rebound. So I found another wife. This was the Moravian. And uh, she had better taste than Christmas ornaments, I must tell you. We had a lot of fun for about three trees. That's all I'm going to say. And when she left, would you believe I inherited some more Christmas ornaments? This is a little silk uh, carousel horse. This silk elephant. There were some nice ones. She had very good taste. She always wanted to buy better ornaments because she said, you know, these are things that are going to last. Who would know that the marriage would end? <laughs> You gotta have souvenirs. <laughs> so, what did I do? Well, you know, go for number three. You know, what can go wrong here? She came, like all the other ones, pretty much wired for Christmas. When you marry a woman who has grown up in a Christian family, whether they're religious or not, they are wired for Christmas. <laughs> They are particularly wired for Christmas trees. You gotta have a tree. Not a fake tree. I mean, they're, they're looking wonderful. They're lifelike. You can't tell the difference. They already have the lights on them. You don't have to do any work. You just need a big enough closet to take the tree and park it for 11 and a half months a year. And then just bring it out and plug it in. No, they have to have Christmas trees. And so it begins this sort of like thinking about it, maybe around Thanksgiving, you start thinking, okay, we're going to go buy a Christmas tree. Maybe we should get one a little earlier this year because, you know, we've got all these ornaments. We have this huge collection. Her family was, I think, in a constant state of making ornaments. We have boxes of these things. You've got to have some place to hang them. So you, you've got to get the tree. Well, you know what trees go for these days. I mean, back in my first marriage, I guess you could find a tree for 10 bucks, but now, I mean, you're looking 
20, if you're lucky, <laughs> tiny little crappy thing for the little 30, 40, you could spend 100 bucks on a tree. Fortunately, our ceilings are low, so we tended to go more towards the $30 tree. The one that's a little flat on one side because it goes up against the wall and you don't see that part. And if it has too many branches, you can't see the ornaments. So you gotta look for just that right tree. Preferably the one that's back in the corner that the guy's willing to sell you for a better price. Well, came 1994, which is roughly the middle of this marriage that for some bizarre reason is continuing. And I had, I had taken a walk in the woods near our house and I had found what looked to be the ideal Christmas tree. <laughs> now, the trick is I've got to convince my wife that this is a good idea. I mean, why do you have to buy a Christmas tree? <laughs> so I suggested one December evening when we were having sort of, I guess, global warming. It was a sneak preview in 1994. It was rather pleasant out. There was the moon shining through the trees. I thought, let's just go for a walk in the woods and get our own this year. And my wife said to me, you mean steal a tree? I said, no, I think maybe poach is a softer word. It's not like we're breaking into the Boy Scout lot and stealing a tree. This is in the ground. Who owns the woods? It's near, let's go get it. So she was roughly convinced. Uh, I thought it would be a romantic idea and suggested to our then 14-year-old daughter, well, why don't you come with us and walk in the woods and oh, we're going to get a tree. I mean, this is just so wonderful. And she looked me square in the eyes and she said, why don't you buy one like everybody else? <laughs> in 14-year-old parlance, that means, no, I'm not going. I'm going to be talking on the phone. I have better things to do. So we hopped into the station wagon and we drove the short distance to the woods near our home in Pasadena and uh, embarked down the path. I was carrying the axe and the flashlight leading the way as only a good hunter should. And we got about two-tenths of a mile down the path when it takes this little curve and suddenly I noticed that my wife Bonnie had literally fallen behind. She was on the ground and she was hollering in pain and she was thrashing in what looked like mud. Not a lot of mud, just a little mud. Enough mud that would just take your feet out from under you like a bad scene in the Marx Brothers movie where you hit the banana peel. And once down on the ground, she started to thrash around in the mud. And so from basically her head to the, her feet, she was entirely turning into color. So I tried to help her up, and then I noticed something very odd, which was that her left hand was hanging at an angle of about 170 degrees, and there was a big shard of bone sticking up in the air. It came to me suddenly that I didn't think we were going home with a Christmas tree. What ensued was kind of nightmarish. First, I had to get her home. And I was very gallant about it. We got into the car, and I put my jacket on the seat for her to keep the car from getting muddy. <laughs> and we drove home, where I attempted to remove her clothing, 
and not her hand, and put on new clothing, because the clothing she was wearing was certainly not presentable for going into an emergency room. <laughs> so, a few other memories kind of jump out at me. One of them is in the orthopedic treatment room, where the orthopedic surgeon is looking at her, her mangled wrist, and he says, hmm, that's really bad. I'm not sure I've ever seen one that bad before. I think we can fix it, but I think we have to break it the right way. So hold on to our good hands. I'm holding on, and he goes, I didn't hear the first one go, but you know, I heard it break the second time. And then he said it in a cast, and I was dispatched while she was in waiting to be discharged from the hospital. I was sent down to the all-night pharmacy with her prescription for painkillers. And I handed to the druggist. This is like 4.30 in the morning now and I'm beginning to look a little worse for wear, from guilt mostly. <laughs> and I hand a prescription and he looks at it and says, hmm, would you like the generic or the name brand? I said, well, what's the difference? And he said, well, the generic is $10. The name brand is 30. And I thought about it. <laughs> Give it the good stuff. <laughs> it's just guilt. So we got home, a few days later, Still in need of a Christmas tree, I drove up the road to Ace Hardware, uh, found an absolutely stunning Christmas tree. Maybe the best tree I have ever bought. It was $10. <laughs> I strapped it on top of the station wagon, and I drove home. And I'm heading down Mountain Road, it's about two miles to the house. And I'm singing to myself some of the lyrics from Marilyn's state song. You know, it's the state song, Oh Christmas Tree, Oh Christmas Tree. <laughs> Except that in the state song, you substitute the words Northern Scum for Christmas Tree. <laughs> so I, I'm singing to myself, Oh Christmas Tree, Oh Christmas Tree, I should not be so cheap with thee. <laughs> I get it home, I take it off the roof of the car, and tap it in the driveway to get the leaves to come out, all those branches, the, the beautiful needles. And I showed it off to my 14-year-old daughter. I was so proud. And she just looked me in the eye, put me right in my place. She said, I told you so. <laughs>
So you've done it. You've listened to another episode of the Stoop Podcast, which is sponsored as well by The Wine Source, a wonderful place for this time of year with delicious beers and wines and snacks um, at 3601 Elm Avenue in Hamden, as well as Golden West, which is a vegan forward uh, restaurant on the avenue in Hamden as well. They've been around since 1997. They have delicious Southwestern classics and a late night carryout window. You can leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast content. We'd really appreciate it. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stoops Storytelling Series. And before we let you go this week, we want to thank Maureen Harvey for producing and you for listening. We also want to tell you we are doing a live and in-person holiday show on December 8th at the beautiful Chesapeake Shakespeare Company. That is not easy to say. Chesapeake Shakespeare Company uh, in downtown Baltimore. The theme is Ba Humbug, stories about making mistakes, making amends, and making merry, and we will be on the set of A Christmas Carol. You can find out more at soupstorytelling.com, but we would love to see you on December 8th for our holiday show. We'll be back soon with more stories from Stoop. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.